Hello everyone, this is Heather Ashley with a little bit of business to take care of before we head into this episode today. As you can see, it's a little abnormal because we're coming at you on a Sunday. I did this interview with Stephanie Hall um, not too long ago and it was scheduled to be released in a month or so but it felt really timely as it's about mental health and making sure that you are being the best that you can be and being aware of your own personal mental health and I felt like after this Friday interview that we released with our physical health nothing better than a quick turnaround to talk about mental health. Also, before we get into the episode, I wanted to share with you guys the Bonfire merch link once again, and 20% of the profits will be donated to the Henry Street Settlement in New York City. It's an organization that's been around for over a century. They provide support for a mental institution, uh, a battered women's shelter, daycare centers, art centers, a whole bunch of other support, especially right now during COVID. So really head over to that link and get your Making Her Story merch just to show your support for them. And then all the rest of the profits go right back into the podcast so we can continue bringing you guys inspirational and quality content twice a week, sometimes three times a week. So let's get right into it and uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. everyone. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Today, I have with me the lovely Stephanie Hall, a licensed professional counselor working with all ages. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephanie. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. I love it. Great. <laughs> Having a good day so far? Yeah, it's pouring down rain. It has been raining all day, so just kind of hanging out inside, quarantined, you know? Hey, you know, <laughs> nothing like bad weather to actually follow social distancing rules. Yeah, <laughs> makes it a little easier. It does. You're like, oh, I'll just read a book today. I'm abiding by everything I'm supposed to. Yes. <laughs> well, let's get right to it. Can you explain the difference between a licensed professional counselor and a therapist. Yeah, I mean a li so LPC that's the degree that I have. So it's it's actually a license that you get with the state that you're working in. So mm -hmm. basically you have to take this 4-hour ridiculously long difficult test to get your license and it's like one of those things that you have to renew every year. You have to take CEU credits to mm. continue your education with that in the field. Mm -hmm. And a therapist is basically the nickname that everybody gives the LPC. So oh, okay. it's therapist or a counselor or a shrink or however you want to put it. <laughs> but there's really not a difference. I think it's just a preference of what you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, typically, I would say like I'm a mental health therapist is the way I say it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's so interesting. Now, do all therapists have to be licensed to practice? Yes. Yes. I mean, I guess anybody could hang a sh shingle and say, oh, I'm a therapist, right? You're not mm -hmm. going to get in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yes, an incredible person <laughs> with a degree, <laughs> you have to have a license. Now, some people practice like they may call themselves like a life coach. And mm -hmm. so some people say that, but they don't, they don't have a license. You don't have to have a license for okay. that, but an LPC does. Okay. And you work with children and teens as well as adults. How does your approach differ with the age groups or does it differ? Yes, it does immensely. So for like, I guess my youngest client would be around three. And so for that age, we do like play therapy. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool. Um, so I've done some intensive classes in play therapy and um, it's just really, really interesting how it works. So basically it's like, you take, um, you and I could sit down and have a conversation about, okay, what's going on? Here are the feelings that's going on. Here's my issue. And, mm -hmm. and it's fine. But you want to sit down with like a five-year-old, you're not going to have a discussion. Right. So a five-year-old, their language is play. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and basically the toys that they choose to use are their words. So if I have a kid that chooses to play with you know, the handcuffs or like, um, mm. we have a punching bag and we have like a sword and a gun. Typically I'm going to assume that they're struggling with some kind of anger, you know, mm. some frustration, things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, some of my kids may tend to go more towards like the soothing toys. So like the sand or something that's like artistic, like art therapy, and usually those are the kids that are more anxious and need like more soothing toys. Mm -hmm. So through their play, you can kind of get a feel of what their needs are based on what they're choosing to play with. Oh, and then how do you then take the next step in assisting their mental health from that? What, so say you've got an angry kid, how do you then, angry kid, you know, like a, a three-year-old, yeah. how do you then help them through those sort of feelings? Yeah. So as they're playing, I would facilitate the conversation by saying, like, if they're punching a punching bag really hard, you know, I would, I would basically reflect the feeling that I see coming out. So I would say, wow, you're really angry right now. You really want to punch him really hard. We call our punching bag Bobo. So I'd say, <laughs> you really want to punch Bobo super hard today. You must be really mad. And the kids are, you know, so honest, which I love. Mm. So they're going to, they're going to tell you if you're wrong. And if you're wrong, they're going to go, I'm not angry, you know, I'm whatever. And which is great because, oh, but yeah. then they're still being able to process like, okay, this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And they can articulate it. And I'm like, oh, thanks for telling me. Yes. Okay. You're not angry. You're feeling this. Mm. Um, so it's a way, and, and if they had no idea they were angry, they were just punching. Then they also were able to you know, reorienting themselves with a feeling based on their behavior and realize that, oh, I'm feeling angry right now. And this is what anger looks like for me. Mm. So it kind of puts a feeling with an emotion with a behavior, which I think is really cool for play therapy. And yeah. then as I get older, like six, seven, eight, what I do is I'll bring in activities. So let's say if, if it was anger, they were struggling with I would bring in like an anger box. And so we'd make it fun. We make it fun together. And I would say, okay, let's, let's come up with things that we can do if we're feeling angry. So what are some healthy choices that we can do? And we might make cards together that we can put in this box. And so when they feel angry, they can draw, go and draw a card out of the box and say, okay, 
I'm going to, you know, punch a pillow right now instead of like punching my brother or I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's make, let's make healthier choices. So we make, <laughs> we make a box together. So I make it fun and it's still play, but we're doing something that they tangible that they can take home with them. Mm. So they have like, you know, some coping skills at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seeing it click with a, with a child when they've, find when something finally registers and makes sense is that something that that is visible or at least uh a major shift in someone when they even in children when they finally make that have that aha moment of why they're so angry or anxious yeah it's interesting everybody's different and there's definitely like a spectrum of emotions for every child but i have definitely seen like a visceral response sometimes when they get it or when something does click for them or what happens is like their play will just completely shift. So they'll move from like being a really, really angry kid who's always using the aggressive toys to like all of a sudden they're wanting to like hold the baby and like play in the sand. Mm. So it's like, wow, like it would be like you and I being super, super angry about something and venting and venting and venting and like processing it with our therapist and then being like, okay, I'm good. You know, and it's just their way of playing it out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So seeing a counselor, therapist, psychologist, well, psychology is different. I do know that. But seeing a counselor and therapist can sometimes have a taboo-ness attached to it in our society. Thankfully, it seems to be shifting um, a bit, especially with uh, like better help those like things being more mainstream, but do you ever have patients come to you who are reluctant to the process and embarrassed even? Yes. Yes, I have. And, and you're so right. Like, I wish things were different. Like it's so sad to see, you know, people have no problem going to a doctor and saying, Oh, you know, I have this cut or I need surgery or whatever. But when it comes to mental, mental health, there's just some, negative connotation about it. And it's, Mm. it's, it's very personal. Like something is wrong with me Mm -hmm. and it's not just like, you know, a physical thing, which seems easily fixed. It's like something's wrong with me. I'm not okay as a person or a human. So it's Mm -hmm. more shame based. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it's, it it is hard. And I, I have definitely seen a lot of clients who, you know, are, are ashamed or not comfortable, like letting any of their friends know they're in counseling. But I mean, I do work with others. I would say more of my younger, the people that I work with that are younger, either teens or young adults, they seem to be more open to it. And they're like, oh yeah, I talk about my therapist all the time and they have therapists too. And oh my gosh, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have my therapist, you know? So I do feel like maybe some of the younger generations are, are becoming more comfortable with that and, Mm -hmm. and recognizing it as there's not something wrong with me, but this is just like, like I would go to the doctor to get my yearly checkup. It's like, I'm going to my therapist to make sure everything, you know, I'm growing in a, in a healthy way mentally. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Cause there can also, I feel like be, um, I mean, there are definitely not, I feel like I know there are repressed traumas in a lot of people. And, and I think there's even ones that you don't, necessarily even know that you have going on and you saying yearly checkup made me think of that just like popping in being like uh what's going on up here in the in the good old noggin like <laughs> what can we yeah. what can we address this month <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we all have stuff. Like everybody has stuff. Everybody has a past. Everybody has history. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have experienced some kind of trauma, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. And so I think just, um, if it was anything else, if it was our health, if it was our physical health, if it was our child, we would go and get that worked on. We would yeah. go and get it fixed. We'd Absolutely. go and get help. So why not mental health? Because mental health affects your physical health and affects mm-hmm. everybody around you. Oh so it's so significant. And um, I'm hoping the t- taboo is shifting. I really do. I, I feel like it is, um, I, at least specifically, like you were saying, in the younger generations, because so much of it is being more be becoming more mainstream, but not in a, uh, like popular way, you know, it's just more accepted than, um, I think, uh, people saying shrink and getting your head, getting your head shrunk mm-hmm. and having someone picking around in there is a, I hope a relic of the past of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where, where it's less like someone's trying to figure out to point out all the bad things. I think that's right. what it is, is I think maybe people used to think this, that therapy was to point out all the bad things. And then that's mm-hmm. what it is rather than right. like working through the bad things. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's so many movies that we've seen that, you know, it's, you go, you go to your shrink and you lay on a couch and this person tells you everything that's wrong with you. Yeah. And like, who wants to do that? Right. Yeah, who wants nobody. to get in my head and tell me like, Oh, <laughs> tell me what I'm thinking. Tell me what's wrong with me. Like, yeah. what, what, how is that helpful? That's yeah. harmful. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that a lot of people associate mental health or therapy with that picture, with that image. Oh, mm. you must have a couch in your office or you must know exactly what I'm thinking right now. I'm like, I don't read minds. No, that's, that's not my business, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, like, uh, that's not what I do, but okay. Right. So yeah, and I, it's yeah. more about like finding, you know, finding out like, what are your needs right now? And instead mm. of looking at like, what's wrong with you or what behaviors are bad, I like to look at it in a flip that and look at it in a more positive realm of like, maybe what are my unmet needs right now? And how do I achieve those instead of looking at it as like, what's wrong with me or what are my deficiencies? Yeah. Like in like a, why can't I need sleep? Why am I not able to sleep right now? Mm-hmm. Let's look at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you make sure that your clients are comfortable in, in the realm of you, especially a new client who doesn't know you to get them to feel good about opening up to you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I just try to be very transparent about the process and say, especially like my teens, it's a really you know, it's just a hard age to relate to. A lot of them come because their parents bring them. They may feel really closed off or reluctant or like, I'm going to come talk to some person who is old and who doesn't know me and who doesn't mm-hmm. get it and has never lived through what I'm living through. You know, like all teens have thought that. I know mm-hmm. I did. So it's like, oh yeah, what am I, what am I doing here? You know, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to open mm-hmm. up. So I, I like to be very transparent and just kind of meet them where they are. So I like to kind of match whatever their behavior is. Mm. So if they're, you know, just kind of laid back or relaxed or whatever, like I'm going to, I'm going to match like physically kind of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like I'm like, I'm not going to be up in my coat and like, 
you know, like mm. look super professional and like look over there. in like, a bun, all perfect. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm going to be like, I'll sit on the floor with them and I'll look them straight in the eye and be like, look, I know this sucks. I know you don't want to be here and just kind of meet them where they are. I know I, I would hate it too. If my mom made me go to therapy mm-hmm. because you don't want to be here. I get it. You don't want to be here. <laughs> but here's the, you know, I mean, and just like, yeah. and just be a hundred percent transparent and, and say, but if your mom's going to make you sit in this room for a freaking hour every week, then, you know, and I'll cuss. I'll be like, why the hell not? Like, let's, let's get something out of it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care. And, and so I also let them know, you know, everything that we do in here is confidential. Like, unless you tell me that you're going to kill somebody or kill yourself or hurt somebody in some way, like everything that you tell me is confidential. Like I would lose my license if I share this with somebody else. So, mm-hmm. or the potential to, mm-hmm. so I, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, my license is on the line. It is just between us. So whatever you say, nobody's going to know. And I think there's a lot of comfort in that too. Like this is your space. And, and, and I also like, I don't pressure them to say, you know, you have to share with me. And I, and I, I'll say, you know, especially to the teams, like, if you just want to sit here, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you let me know when you're ready. If, Mm -hmm. If just sitting here is all you can do today, then let's sit here. Yeah. I'll sit here with you. I'll, I'll sit in this space with you. And if that's all you can do, then that's okay. But I want you to feel safe in whatever that is. And if that's just sitting with me, then let's sit today. Yeah. I, oh, that's, that's really great. I love how it sounds like you genuinely care about all of your clients. I think that might be another thing that makes people reluctant is, am I just another pay? Am I just another number? Am I just another in your machine? Like, is this just, are you going to even remember that I exist um, when I'm not in your appointment book? Yeah. 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 I mean that, that, and that, that's the thing is I think that there, there probably are a lot of therapists out there that, that may just be like, I need to check (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and yes, it's a living too, but for, for me, it's more than a living. Like, Mm. I really feel like it's a calling. Yeah. You know, I have lived through a lot in my life as well. And you know, I, I, I've been through a lot of crap and a lot of stuff and trauma and abuse and, and all of this. And so I, I, I've walked down that road. And so I have this heart that's just like, you know, I, I get it. And I can truly empathize where you've been. And if I haven't been exactly in your shoes and I've been really close mm. and I want to walk through that journey with you, I want to, mm. I, I, I want to feel that pain with you. And I, and I want to see you to the other side of that mm-hmm. so that you can see that there's hope. And this isn't, this isn't the end. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something better. There's something better for you. And Mm -hmm. I want to help facilitate you on this journey so that you can find that. Would you say that your personal experiences are what made you want to enter this line of work? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely think that's a huge part of it. Um, I, I remember as a teenager thinking, you know, just going through a lot of struggles as a teen, like some big, big stuff that like probably teenagers shouldn't be struggling with. Like mm-hmm. it's more like adult stuff. Right. And I just remember thinking, dang, you know, I, I wish I had someone to talk to mm. when I was a teenager. I wish I had someone, you know, that wasn't like a, you know, 60 year old grandma that I felt like I could relate to Mm -hmm. that would understand me in a way where I could just candidly speak without censoring myself. And Mm -hmm. I, and I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity. And I thought, you know, I want to be an advocate for people that are struggling. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I remember thinking that at a young age and, and it happened. So yeah, I mean, definitely it was based on life experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give a trigger warning right now for everyone going forward. Uh, we're going to be talking about anxiety, depression, self-harm and suicide. So forewarning, can you tell us some signs to look out for in others and ourselves that would, that would indicate someone experiencing depression and or suicidal ideation? Yeah. Um, depression for one, I mean, some of the warning signs would be, um, isolation. So people that, you know, might tend to pull away, whether they're introverted or extroverted, it doesn't matter. Just people who, who tend to isolate more. Mm -hmm. So it would be based on like a frequency. If you're used to seeing somebody a lot and all of a sudden they're just not, you know, doing the same things or not contributing in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say a loss in, um, like appetite or a gain in appetite. So obviously if you're, if you're eating a lot more than typically or restricting eating in a, in another way, a change in sleep habits. So if you're either struggling with sleeping or falling asleep or staying asleep or, you know, um, sleeping all the time, mm-hmm. not being able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. So any of those like kind of basic things that ha- that is a very, very big warning sign for, for depression, but also just motivation. Mm. So just the lack of motivation. Um, if you're finding it difficult to like start any project or finish any project or get motivated to start work, that could be a warning sign of, mm-hmm. of depression for sure. And then as far as, as did you say self-harming or suicide? I said suicide, but self-harm as well if you have some words on that yeah for both i mean suicide or um self-harming behavior that's obviously a step up from depression i mean that's obviously more severe depression i mean it could also be triggered by anxiety so depression and anxiety are are comorbid meaning they're interchangeable they kind of go together a lot Mm -hmm. so somebody that's depressive or has depressive tendencies it may manifest in anxiety as well. So one day might look mm. more depressive and then another day might look more anxious for them. Okay. Um, but a lot of times you'll see them kind of paired together. So even like medication that you may take for depression, it would work for depression or anxiety. So anyway, they are comorbid, but as far as self-harming behaviors or suicidal ideation, you're going to see a lot of depression and anxiety that, that contribute to, to those behaviors. Now, typically like self-harming behavior sometimes is kind of like a cry for help. Not like it's not intentional. It's not ideation. Like I'm going to kill myself, but it's, it's a cry for help. Like I'm not okay. It's Mm -hmm. also a lot of trauma-based situations Mm. are going to yield itself to potentially self-harming because it's a release. Like I, I feel so hurt, so sad, so traumatized, so depressed. Mm. And I am not able to cope with that. I'm not able to release that pressure in any way. So I want to cut myself because that's the only way that I feel any kind of release from the pain that I'm feeling internally. So I don't know how, I don't know how to cope with that internal pain. So I cut myself externally so that I have some kind of a release. Mm. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's in, and on, on that token, it's actually, interesting that you said that because the very next thing that I was going to say that I was going to ask you 
about sort of, um, I've heard people say things like, oh, they just want attention or, um, if they really wanted to commit suicide, they would just have done it. And, um, mm. when people are commenting on like self-harm behavior and they're, you know, as you said, they're different they're very different things. And I, I mean, I can only assume that this type of flippancy in, from an outside source is extremely damaging, even further adding to that pain. And it's misinformed. What would be an appropriate response to someone in that mindset, in a, in a self-harm situation? Is it appropriate for a friend or a family member to approach them or should it be a we're going to take you to a therapist immediately you know yeah yeah I think that's a great question um and I think there's just there's so sorry I'm taking my shoe off <laughs> I mean this is this is getting serious the shoes are coming off <laughs> um yeah I mean I think the thing is, is there's so, people are so scared to talk about suicide ideation. Self-harming, it's more associated with like, oh, it's just a troubled teen that's having issues. They're cutting themselves, you know. But honestly, people are like, if they think that somebody is potentially suicidal or there's, or there's potentially thoughts of suicide, people are like, oh, don't bring it up. Don't talk about suicide in front of them because that's going to make them want to commit suicide. If you bring it up, if you draw any, any attention to it, they're going to think, oh, I'm going to commit suicide or I'm, or yes, I'm thinking about it now. And the thing is, is if, if somebody is suicidal or has suicidal ideation, it doesn't matter how many times you say suicide, that's already in their head. You're not going to plant the seed. Yeah. And if somebody is not suicidal, you're not going to plant a seed by saying, are you suicidal? You'd be like, no, yeah. of course not. Yeah. Uh, no. Yes. So we all have this concept that if I, if I say it, then they're going to potentially do it. And that is so wrong. So yes, I would highly recommend like, if you think, because too, I think saying, Oh, something's wrong with you. I'm going to take you straight to a therapist. It's like, Oh shit. You know, yeah. that's terrifying. I don't want to do that. So I think just being able to have a candid conversation and just, I think empathy is key. I, I hear that you're really hurting right now. You're in a lot of pain and, and I want to understand and, and be able to help you. Mm can you tell me, you know, have you thought about hurting yourself in any way? And if they say yes, then say, you know, can you tell me what that looks like? Like, are you just thinking of harming yourself, of cutting yourself, or have you thought about suicide? Mm -hmm. And if they say yes, if they say yes, like I've thought of suicide, then say, you know, have you thought of how you would do it? And I know this sounds crazy because most people are like, oh my gosh, that's planting a seed, that's planting a seed. And it's not because- Because they've already thought they, about it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so if they have, if they say, yeah, I, I would take a bottle of pills or whatever, then, then I would say, okay, there's a potential that there may be harm. And that's when I would say, okay, I really want to get you help because you've, you have intent you have a means to do it and you have access to that thing. Mm. If they said, yeah, I, I would probably shoot myself. Do you have access to a gun? That would be the most appropriate question. Mm -hmm. And if they say yes, say, okay, you know, and then if they, and if they say yes, I would say, well, have you thought about when, or is there a timeline or a timetable on this? But if, even if it gets to the point where I, I, there's an intent and there's, they have the means to do it, to mm -hmm. carry it out, I would mm -hmm. say that would be immediate. I would, no matter who it was, I would say, okay, it's time for me to, to help you. Yeah. And I know that sounds really scary, but as your friend, 
I would rather you be mad at me, but, but I'm going to take you to the hospital or I'm yeah. going to get you help. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Or I'm going to tell somebody who, who can get you to the hospital or yeah. can get you that, that you're going to listen to more, maybe, you know, someone where yeah. like, their parent or their husband, right. wife, friend, sister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You work with patients who are in vulnerable, you know, words are hard sometimes. You, <laughs> you work with patients who are in vulnerable states. Do you yourself have to be vulnerable in these sessions as well? Is, are you asking like, as far as like self-disclosure? Um, you know, do you feel like you have to, is it more of a, uh, you've talked a lot about empathy within it. But when it gets to certain like really serious issues with someone who, let's say, has the means, has thought about suicide, do you then go more towards the strong figure or are you still on the empathetic side mm. or is yeah, it a combination? Yeah, yeah. I would say it's a combination. I would definitely approach it with empathy because at that point too, they, they don't feel heard, you know, they feel lost in this. And, and I think somebody who can just be there and listen and hear them and feel like I'm heard and I matter, mm -hmm. that is kind of huge. Mm. And so, yes, I approach it with like, with calmness, with tenderness, with, with lots of empathy and patience. Mm -hmm. So a session that might have been over, supposed to be over in like 45 or 50 minutes, I I've had sessions that go over two hours just because I need to get them where they're in a calm, safe space before mm -hmm. I say, okay, now here's my next recommendation, which may be like hospitalization or ER. Mm. So I have had to send, you know, a client or two to the emergency room because they may have had intent to harm themselves that evening or mm. after they left my facility. So, mm. um, in that case, yeah, I would, I would, um, I would sit with them as long as it takes to make sure they're in a safe and calm place mm -hmm. and that they have someone that can drive them to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's both like it's, you know, it's definitely this, this level of calmness and, and empathy. And there's definitely an element of directness as well. Um, so just, you know, empathetic patient, but also letting them know, like, I, I care about you as a person and I care about your well being and I wouldn't be a good therapist and I, I wouldn't be a good human if I let you leave here tonight, knowing that you had intent on harming yourself in any way. Mm -hmm. And I won't let that happen because mm -hmm. I care about you. And I'm just like looking in their eyes saying like, I care about you and I want you to be okay. Yeah. And yeah. if you hate me for that, I'm, I'm okay with that because yeah. I would rather you be alive than me care about you hating me. And I'm fine with that. So, you know, so there's definitely an element of directness but also just the like love and, you know, the truth about, I just want you to be safe. And mm -hmm. that's what matters. I think it says a lot about you as a therapist that there, that you've had people feel comfortable and vulnerable enough and connected enough with you to actually sit down and say, I might do it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> like that says a yeah. lot about the connection and care that in the safe space that you've created in your practice. Hmm. How do you keep your own mental health in check when so much of what you do is take on 
all of these people's not just I was trying to think of an eloquent eloquent word but (laughs) nothing was coming except sadness (laughs) yeah yeah that is a really that's a really good question um you know it's all about self-care it is all about self-care like you have to like I have to maintain my own mental health in order to be an effective clinician or a helper at all like Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be like me saying, okay, here's all the tools and everything you need to do to help yourself, but I'm not going to do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, so I go to my, I have my own therapist that I go to every week and obviously I'm an, a huge advocate of mental health therapy <laughs> and, um, and I, I go, I see my own because like I have my own stuff I need to process, you know, I'm yeah. not perfect either. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm constantly working on self-growth and I'm constantly aware of my own stuff that mm-hmm. I may bring into the room, that I may bring into my own relationships. And I think it's so important for clinicians to be that self-aware so they know like, okay, is this my stuff or, or what's going on here? So they can really call it out mm-hmm. in the room. So for me, it's all about like getting enough sleep, getting enough, you know, time you know, to reconnect on my own. Like, Mm -hmm. am I getting, am I getting fed, you know, socially and am I getting enough downtime? Um, am I getting exercise? Those Mm -hmm. things are really, really important. But I think the biggest one for me is just having my own therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to process my own stuff with somebody else who can call me out because I'm not perfect either. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll be the first to admit that I have my own stuff. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Have you ever felt yourself projecting a little bit of your own, if you relate 98% with someone's issue, have you ever, I mean, everyone's different, obviously, and everyone has different ways that they cope. Um, So the way that you cope might be different than the way this other person copes, but you both have the same issue. Have you ever felt yourself trying to encourage your own coping mechanisms on then, or have you been able to separate those with going to your, with your therapist? Yeah, I think that's good. I, I definitely would have the instinct to want to respond in the way that I would have responded, right. Or have Mm -hmm. the same thought, because I think that's humanly natural to do that. And so being able to be aware of that in this space and say, okay, that's my own stuff coming up and just being present with them and letting them process and get to that answer on their own without me, Mm. like, yeah, based on my life or my response. And so that's why I think it's important to, to be in therapy myself, because then I I get, you know, I get that checked out by my own therapist Mm. and I keep that in check for myself so that I don't like bring my stuff into the room. And if I do, I'm, I, I know where that boundary is. Yeah. Do you have any words of advice for anyone experiencing high levels of anxiety and or depression, especially during this crazy time that is COVID-19? I think it's, you know, that's interesting. I just, you know, I've been, I've been doing therapy for a while now and you know, everybody has their own sets of issues and things that they contend with. And right now, like it's the main theme of my room is, you know, COVID and how to cope with it and what's going on and how it's affecting my life. So, I mean, it's what I talk about all day, a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, 
again, I think it's, it's about balance and it's about self-care. It's so easy to fall into isolation and pull yourself away because you're sick of Zoom, you're sick of the calls, you're sick of online stuff. And it's like, I can't take it anymore. So it's easy to just withdraw and pull back and fall into a depression. And not many people know, especially if you live alone, who's going to know? Yeah. Nobody's going to know that you're, you haven't bathed in a week and you haven't gotten out of bed or your pajamas or whatever. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I've recognized that is really important is maintaining some sense of normalcy and having some sort of routine, even if it looks different. So, you know, even if your routine is different, if you're not going work to work every day, still saying, I'm going to get out of bed every day by whatever time it is, seven, eight, not whatever it is for you, but saying, I will get out of bed every time. Like every day at a specific time. Mm -hmm. I will have, you know, three meals a day. I will like, I will manage my diet in a normal, you know, or semi-normal fashion. Mm -hmm. And and I think the big thing too, is getting physical exercise, mm -hmm. like getting some fresh air, even if, you know, I I'm doing multiple walks a day just because I am not an indoor, like stay cooped up kind of person. So just getting out, like having a change of scenery, a change of environment. I mean, mm -hmm. be smart about it, be safe about it, wear your mask, whatever mm -hmm. you need to do. But, but just getting outside and moving your body, I think is so important. Mm -hmm. There's just, I mean, moving your body, releasing endorphins and having that change of scenery can do wonders on, on your mind and your outlook on life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would say routine sense of normalcy, just encouraging yourself to like get up and go to bed, not, you know, within reasonable hours and then moving your body and having some exercise. And I think it's important too, to maintain some sort of like social contact with your friends, even if it has to be on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, mm -hmm. like still, still have that element of connection because mm -hmm. we are all humans and we need to connect and it's easy to withdraw, but I think, you know, forcing ourselves to connect during these times is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As uh, a thing that is funny because I never did it before, but I make my, I make my bed every day. Yeah. And that was something that, that was like the first thing that I started doing because I was like, I hated being in my room with a messy bed, but for some reason when you're gone all day and you just come back home to a messy bed, it doesn't really matter because you're just right. it. But like, I was like, man, I cannot stand to look at a messy bed. And then that made me want to go make breakfast. And then I was like ready. And it's so funny because that was just like a new normal that I like hope I can keep going yeah. <laughs> after this. But it's that it's, there's just a little bit of something, something so small as making my bed. Yes. That can like, change your outlook. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I've got a clean space. Everything is at least, I, I did one thing today at least. <laughs> like yes, I made yes. my bed, you know, and that's no, like, and that's, that's what I'm telling people is like, you know, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, oh my gosh, I have 20 things I want to do. I, and then just get so overwhelmed that it all seems impossible. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is, is if you can get one to two things done a day and say that, you know what, I feel good about this day. I feel accomplished because I did this one thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, another thing I, I, I'm telling, um, or encouraging some of my clients is book end your day with something positive. So mm -hmm. when you get up in the morning, 
you know, whether it is, you know, a meditation or like a positive affirmation, or maybe you're spiritual and it's a prayer or like a positive reading of some kind, start your day with that on your mind. Cause it's easy to like flip on the news or go through social media and find something that's like, Oh my gosh, this many more people died or this is the newest, you know, you know, pandemic. This is yeah. the, the craziest thing that's happened now. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that. But don't turn anything on. Don't scroll through social media, but start your day with like some sort of a positive affirmation. Mm. So it kind of sets the mood for how you want to experience the day mm-hmm. and then end your day on the same note. So bookend your day with something positive before you lay down in your bed or as you're laying down in your bed go through another positive affirmation, read something that's positive, you know, say a prayer, do a meditation, do a breathing exercise, Mm -hmm. do something that is going to relax you into some sort of positive um, place before you go to bed, you know? So it's also easier to go to sleep. Hopefully your dreams will be better. (laughs) But just like bookending your day with with positivity, I think is big. I I absolutely agree. And, And also, I, I, this is what's worked for me is ending my day the way I ended my day before, mm. too, you know, like something yeah. that is exactly what I used to do. Yeah. That, that is like specifically was always my ritual. And I, and then for some reason for the first couple of weeks, I didn't do it like during this and I right. felt so uncomfortable and I was like, why did I stop doing that? I was at home when I did it before anyway. Right. Like, why would I not continue doing something that I can still do that I did before? And it kind of yeah. helps make it all feel less like a twilight zone episode. Yeah. It gives <laughs> you a sense of normalcy, which yeah. we all need because none of this is normal or feels normal. And so having those little things. And it seems like such a small thing, but like you said, just something as small as making the bed, it's like, okay, this gives me some sort of routine. It feels like a sense of normalcy, which we all need because none of this is normal. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get to our last two questions, is there anything else that you would like to add maybe about you or just life, a joke? funny thoughts, happy thoughts. <laughs> I wish I had brought my joke book, but I'm just not one that makes a joke on the spot. Um, you know, well, I'll just say this. Like, I, I love that you're doing this. Obviously I'm a huge advocate for mental health and I think it's understated so much in our country and well, not even in our country, in most countries. I yeah. mean, even culturally, it's so, you know, it's just not appreciated in the way that I think it should be, mm-hmm. and, and this is a generalized response, but overall, I think that we could be more mindful about that, and mm-hmm. I think the more that we speak to it, and the more that we talk about it, mm-hmm. it's almost like it gives it permission that yeah. it's okay, it's okay, yeah. you know, we all have stuff, we all have stuff we need to talk about, we all have feelings that are unprocessed, we all have emotions that need to be talked about and that's okay. And that's healthy. And we should be talking about them instead of suppressing them because they will come out in a negative way at some point. Mm -hmm. So I think the more that we give words to it and the more that we speak to it, it's almost like it gives it permission to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and realize that it's, it's normal. It's normal to have these thoughts or have these feelings or have these struggles. Mm. And here's, here's what you can do when you feel this way or here, Mm. here's some resources. Um, you know, and I think just 
giving it a voice helps it lose its stigma. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate yes. you like recognizing that that's important and just like mm-hmm. giving it a voice. Yeah. Thank you. And you're, yeah, I think, I think everything that, that you said is true. As soon when we talk about things, we give them permission to be talked about mm-hmm. things that we naturally, for whatever reason, as humans feel like we need to be ashamed of the dark yeah. side of all of our brain. Everybody has darkness. There is yeah. not a single person that exists that does not have some sort of darkness and yeah. it's okay. And I think another thing is people, people who are generally thought of as really enjoyable people and have an, a great outlook. They also have the darkness. That's, That's right. what I'm going to call it now. The darkness. Yeah. You know, everybody yeah. has it. And, yeah. and then giving them permission to say, I'm not feeling super upbeat today and that's okay because I can exist without asking permission from you to be sad. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's okay. I just like to say it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Like what's that? I think her name is Je- Jesse James. Is that her name? Jesse, uh-huh. Jesse J. That Jesse J has yeah. a song like it's okay not to be okay. That yeah. song makes me weep every time I hear it. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my cry in the shower song. <laughs> yes. Yes. Those are so good. <laughs> so we're going to end things on a lighter note bringing things around. I ask the same last two questions to everyone that comes through the podcast. The first is what is your second favorite color? Oh, interesting. <laughs> second favorite. Second favorite. Okay. Um, I would say black. <laughs> Why black? Um, well, my first favorite is green. My second favorite is black. I don't know. I just feel like it's just like, it's a strong color. It's a basic color. It just like, I tend to wear a lot of black. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Just, I feel like, you. I, I feel you. Red and black or red and black are my top two are my top two. So yeah. no, no, uh, no shame from me. <laughs> and then lastly, what in your opinion is the best part of being a woman? Mm. Well, that's a tough question. You can have multiple answers if it's layered. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think. The best part about being a woman, you know, I think that there is an understated strength that we all have. And I think for me, it's, it's kind of based on survival. It's like, you know, um, not that you're a second class citizen, but that we may have to work twice as hard to, to get, you know, where a man gets or to make the amount of money that a man makes mm-hmm. or to have the amount of respect that a man has, you know, and I think I, I'm hoping the culture is changing, but, but I think that even though it may seem like we're oppressed in some way, I think that we all collectively know <laughs> that there is a very, very understated strength amongst us. Mm. And and I think we all feel it, you know, and I, and what I love about that is when you get around other strong women who you feel that strength and you kind of, you kind of gravitate towards people who are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it feels good. It feels right. There's mm. just, there's some, I don't, I don't even know how to put words to it, but there's, there's just some bond, 
system. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Like we, we've all, we've all served, we're all survivors, I think in some way, because we've had to fight battles that, you know, um, that are harder than, than, than men, honestly, in many, in many ways. And I think that I just wish sometimes that women would, all women would recognize that and say, you know what, let's be advocates for each other. Like, Mm -hmm. let's not tear each other down. Mm -hmm. Let's not criticize each other for the way we look or the way we dress or the way we talk or whatever. Like, let's just recognize that we are all understated in some way Mm -hmm. and let's support each other. And I think I I feel that from a lot of the people that I'm around. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that I I wouldn't want to be a man. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to be a man. I tell you that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stephanie. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Before I get to my usual ending statement, I want to leave you guys with the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the United States. It's 1-800-273-8255. Don't ever feel ashamed to ask for help. You're not alone and you will make it through. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Don't forget to rate and review the show so that more and more people can be encouraged and inspired by the incredible women that we get to talk to every week. (laughs) You can follow us on Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast, and you can also send us an email to womenofherstorypodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. This is a New York Glitch production. You are the worst. (laughs)